Few things in life are as sobering as standing next to a grave that's about to be filled with the body of a friend or a loved one. In that moment, we are reminded of our mortality. We're reminded of our future. And in that empty hole, we really see all of our futures. That every single one of us one day, if the Lord does not return, will die. All of us. And everyone has ideas about what happens after death. What comes next? But what is the hope for the dead? What is the hope for those of us who are alive now but who will die? That we're all on our way towards death. And we don't know exactly when it will come. Though we hope far in the future. This morning, the central question that we want to, or the central thing we're going to talk about is what is our hope in life and in death? And the question that I have for all of you is do you have resurrection hope? Do you have resurrection hope? So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're almost done with 1 Corinthians. We are going to be in chapter 15 this morning if you want to turn in your Bibles there. It's the second to last chapter, it's the longest chapter. I won't make you stand when we read it. Um, but it's also one of the most significant chapters. It's one of my favorite chapters in all of God's Word because it is focused in on the resurrection. So this morning, we're going to talk about three things about this resurrection hope. First, we'll talk about our foundation or why. Why can we have resurrection hope? Or on what basis can we believe this? Secondly, we'll talk about the, the description of our hope or the object of, well, what is our hope? What are we hoping for? What do we mean when we say resurrection? And lastly, and most importantly, we'll talk about the possession of this hope. How do we get it? How do we have it? And how do we hold on to it? Even in the midst of a life filled with death. So this morning, if you'll turn in your Bibles, we're gonna, I'm going to read from God's Word and, and we'll hear more about this hope. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance to the Scriptures." And that he appeared to Cephas and the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain." On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as resurrected from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And we are even being found to be misrepresenting God because we have testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. 
And if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who are also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are a people to be most pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, so by man also comes the resurrection of the dead. For if in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, and then it is coming those who belong to Christ. And then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every ruler, every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subject under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expected who put all things in subjection under him. And all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptizing on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. And what do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with the beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as it is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God, and I say this to your shame. But some will say, how are the dead raised, and with what kind of body will they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives to it a body as it is chosen, and to each kind a seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. There is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one kind, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, and one glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star and glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. That is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual The first man was from the earth, a man of dust, and the second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. As is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. For just as we've been born in the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall all be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put in immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, 
my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask that you would be here this morning. Lord, would your spirit come? Would you open our eyes? Would you open, soften our hearts? Would you give us ears to hear your word? Lord, would we be comforted, be confronted? Would we be challenged by your truth and of the hope of resurrection? I pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Our first point is talking about the foundation of why. Why can we have hope of the resurrection? And the foundation of our resurrection hope is the resurrection of Jesus. The foundation of our resurrection hope is the resurrection of Jesus. That's it. Because without Jesus' resurrection, there is no hope. As Paul says over and over again, if he's not raised, then it's all a wash. And most people don't believe that there is a resurrection of the dead. Verse 12, he says, you know, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? Some in Paul's day were saying, hey, there's no resurrection. Nobody's coming back once you go in the ground. People still say that today. Most people would affirm that and say that. They don't believe that we will come back. Most people will say, sure, there's something after death. Sure, after death, I really will go somewhere, maybe. Maybe mo many people even affirm heaven and say everybody gets there. Hopefully most people get there. At least hopefully I get there. But after that, they won't say, well, there's not a return from that. That's it. Even those who embrace reincarnation aren't really believing in resurrection. Because it's your soul coming back, but not your body. And really, you're just trying over and over again to eventually get past the physical realm and achieve nirvana or transcendence and become one with the universe. And then that's it. That's the end. That's not resurrection. Outside of Jesus, if Jesus is not really raised, if he did not come back from the dead, then death is just that. It is the end. There's nothing after it. 14, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain. If Christ isn't raised, my talking to you is in vain. You listening to it is a waste of your time. And then our, your faith is in vain. If Jesus didn't really come back from the dead, putting your faith in Jesus, calling yourself a Christian, is a waste. It is, gains you nothing. 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins and those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If Jesus didn't really come back to life, there is no such thing as resurrection. Death is the end. There is no salvation. There is only death and nothingness. But, verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is a fact. And on that historical fact rests our entire life. That miracle, the greatest miracle in the history of time and the universe, is the reason that we gather on Sundays instead of on the Sabbath, as the Jews did, because this is resurrection day. We gather every week because Jesus came back from the grave. 
And Paul says, if you take that fact away, if you don't want to believe in that miracle, you want to think Jesus was just pretty cool, he had some nice ideas, wrote a good book, taught some nice things about loving each other. Paul says, hey, if he re didn't really come back from the dead, then throw it all away. Throw the Bible away, 32. You know, what do I gain? Why am I doing this? Why am I fighting with people at Ephesus? Why am I suffering? Why have I been stoned? Why are people trying to kill me? Why have I been beaten and shipwrecked? Why am I doing all this? If the dead are not raised, 32, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Paul says, outside of Jesus, there is no hope for the resurrection. But he has been raised. That is the, the truth that we sang about this morning. And our hope, our hope of resurrection is that death will end. Is that one day death will be no more. At the cross and at the tomb, Jesus defeated not just sin, but he also defeated death. He holds the keys to death and Hades in his hands. We read about from Revelation. The grave could not hold our Lord. Jesus didn't cheat death didn't just escape it through trickery. He didn't just pretend to be dead and then came back after he healed up a little bit, took a good nap. <laughs> Jesus destroyed the power of death at the resurrection and at that tomb. He broke it. Death is our enemy. This is a thing we have to remember even as Christians, even as having resurrection hope. I hope you have it. Death is not a good thing. Death is not something to celebrate. It is not a friend that we greet or embrace happily, even as we know that in our death, to be absent from the body is to be present with Jesus. Death is still an enemy. It's not a necessary part of life. It's not a friend. It is our enemy. But 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. It will be finished one day, but it is already defeated. At the tomb, Jesus broke death's power. He's already victorious over it. And so even in the presence of death, we can stand and we can sing. And we can say, death, where is your victory? And death, where is your sting? Even as we feel it sting, as we see it take those from us that we love. But we face death as an enemy that we know will die one day. Because the last enemy to be destroyed is death. At the end, verse 24, death is already lost. It is too late for death. This is the already and the not yet, a fancy phrase that we, we like to use, preachers do at least, where death has already been defeated, but we haven't yet seen its full defeat. The, the war is over. The biggest battle has been won. It's all downhill from here. We just have to wait for it to come. If Jesus does not return, all of us in this room will come face to face one day with death. But death will not have the last laugh. Jesus will. And so our hope, this foundation of our hope of Jesus and his resurrection, this is why we can have hope today. We can face uncertain days. We can face a bad diagnosis from the doctor. We can face all of the horrors that life could throw at us because why? We know we will live again. Verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. 
This is the foundation of our hope. Jesus defeated death. And since he defeated death, why do we, should we fear anything in life? The question is, is this your foundation? It's the foundation of your hope in Jesus, or is it somewhere else? Do you have resurrection hope? So the foundation of our hope is the resurrection of Jesus, but what is our hope? What is it? What is the description? What do you even mean by resurrection? Point number two, if you're, you're taking notes, uh, is that our, our hope is that our bodies will be resurrected and transformed. Our bodies will be resurrected and transformed. The central question we may have is, well, what's it like? What's the resurrection like? Okay, my body comes back. What does that mean? Verse 35, that's quite where it starts. Well, someone will ask, how are the dead raised? Say, yes, that's me, Paul. With what body do they come? Yes, that, that is my question, Paul. I would love for you to answer that. But then, you know, we have that. Well, I have the same face. Is he going to fix my scars? Is he going to change some of the things about my body that I don't like quite so much? Maybe improve them? I'd like to be a little taller. I'm kind of short. Don't like that. I've put on some weight with COVID and, you know, sympathy pregnancy weight, as I like to call it. <laughs> so, you know, was God going to take care of that? How old will I look? Well, will I look how I looked when I was at my best? I'm be stuck how I am now. Those are our questions. But that's not the Corinthians question in this in 35. They're, they're asking this because they don't buy the resurrection at all. They don't believe the resurrection is true. They like heaven. They, they see that. They're asking this question almost sarcastically. Okay, I, see, I can see souls existing after our death. I can see, you know, going into somewhere and it's nice. I, we, we get that, Paul. That sounds good. But what do you mean? Why would our bodies come back? Who wants that? Why would we do this? That makes no sense at all. So what Paul is doing here is he's trying to show them that their bodies actually matter. That the resurrection is necessary. And so what we see, is some of what Paul says here is that in some sense our resurrected bodies are going to be similar to our bodies now. We're going to be able to recognize them at least in some way, right? We're not going to turn into robots or frogs or some kind of weird alien thing. Whatever they are, it's going to look similar enough to our bodies that we'll go, yeah, okay, that looks like a regular human body. And we can look at the resurrected body of Jesus for hints of what our bodies will look like, right? Because he's, his resurrection is the foundation of our hope. So let's look at him. What did he look like? That probably gives us a good idea what we'll look like. And verse 23 again reminds us that it, Christ is the first fruits. So he was the first one to be resurrected in this way. And so we, since he's the first, that's just the first thing you get from the harvest. We're waiting for him to get all of us as well. And all of those who've trusted in Jesus in the past. So we will be resurrected like him. And just as he was brought back to life, as his body was put back together, even after he had long suffocated and died and the blood had left his body and his body was cold. So we will be brought back in the same way. It still looked like him, but it was different. His face still looked like his face, largely, we think. His disciples at least recognized him, though there were moments they couldn't quite tell. He still bared the same scars of the cross. He had the holes in his hands and the holes in his side. Now, maybe that's just because he's Jesus and those are glorious. And those scars are some of the most beautiful things in the universe. And so maybe we won't have scars, but just Jesus did, or maybe we will. I don't know. Maybe there are some of the things that we think are imperfect about our bodies that may remain because 
The creator of the universe doesn't see it that way. Some of the things we'll say, I mean, we see that Jesus ate with his disciples after he was raised. He had food. He still walked around and spent time with them. In Luke 24, 39, he said, hey, I'm not a spirit, not a ghost. Look, I'm flesh and bones. So there's some part of our bones and our flesh that will remain. There are some things that are similar, but that doesn't mean our bodies are exactly the same. In fact, they're not. Paul uses this metaphor over and over to talk about the difference between our natural bodies and our spiritual, or our bodies as they are now and our bodies as they will be if we have resurrection hope. And the main way he talks about this is of seeds. Talks about our bodies now are just seeds of the body to come. Look at verse 37. And so what you sow is not the body that is to be, but it is a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. He's saying what you have now is just a seed of what is to come. Verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. Our bodies will be similar, but they are but yet foreshadowing of what is to come. They're going to be transformed into something greater and better. Just like when you put a seed in the ground, it begins to break apart, right? It, it decays, some of the pieces go away, and it starts to change. And slowly, it becomes what it was always meant to be, turning into something beautiful. The same thing will happen to the bodies of those who put their hope in Jesus. Our bodies, like seeds, will be buried in the dirt or burned to ash. And one day, when Jesus returns, we'll slowly grow and transformed into resurrected heavenly bodies. So our bodies are similar, but they're, they're going to be completely different. What will they be like? Well, we know a little, but we don't know everything. But what we do know is pretty good. It's good enough for me, at least. What we know is they will be imperishable. 42. They're not going to decay. They'll be immortal. In 54, the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality. We know we won't have to die again. We know that it, it won't, our bodies will not slowly break down. The disease won't touch them. Sickness won't hurt them. That as you, as you get older, right, there are many moments it feels like your body betrays you. Hey, wait, I used to be able to do that and now I can't anymore. Or inside you feel just like you did when you were young, but yet you, on the outside reminds you you're, you're not. That will not be how it is in the resurrection. Your body outside will look and move and feel even better than it does now or than you do on the inside. It won't decay. We also know our, our bodies, 43, they are sown in dishonor, but they will be raised in glory, sown in weakness, but raised in power. The effects of sin, the effects from the fall in the Garden of Eden will be no more. Whatever it is about our bodies that are shameful or dishonorable or broken or not as they should be will be changed and fixed into something new. That's kind of all we get for details. I wish we had more. Problem is we want more. 
Right? I, I want more. I don't know about you because I'm, I'm curious. I, I'm analytical. I like to know everything. So when I start looking and studying things, I, I go as far as I can to get all the information that I could possibly want. And, you know, the Bible doesn't give as much as we want, so I thought, okay, I'm going to go read all my theology books, read my commentators, I'll go to the church fathers, because I love the church fathers, they wrote about all sorts of stuff, surely they have something to say. But what really surprised me is most of the early church fathers did not really care at all about this question. They were not interested in the slightest about talking about, well, what will our bodies be like? Are they going to be this? Will I look like I am now? Will I look like I was when I was 20? None of them even talked about it that I could find, which disappointed me. Because I wanted to, wanted to find that out. But what I noticed is all of them were content to be excited about the resurrection. And we may have questions, uh, you know, and I know, I know I do. Is there blood pumping in our veins? Do they have inner organs? We just honestly don't know. Maybe I think so because Jesus says flesh and blood, but I, you know, could be wrong. So there are things about our bodies right now that will be the same, but there is much of it that will be very different and much, much better. And what we know is enough. The important thing is that death and sin cannot touch them. And they will be made as they always should have been. And what I noticed and realized is I was spending so much time chasing and trying to put together this puzzle piece. What exactly will this be? Instead of just basking in the glory and in wonder and in awe, of the fact of the resurrection and the fact that we will get to live again. And this passage is not a textbook to describe our heavenly bodies. It is meant to be a raft in the storm of life so we have something to hold on to. That we will live again. Not as disembodied souls, not as ghosts, but we will all who have put our faith in Jesus will be resurrected one day. And we can't even begin to comprehend how wonderful and glorious and beautiful that day will be. Number three, so do we have resurrection hope? The question is, how do we get this? Number three, your point is that resurrection hope comes from believing in the gospel of Jesus. Resurrection hope comes from believing in the gospel of Jesus. The hope of the resurrection is very real. It is not a fantasy. It is not a pipe dream. It is not the invention of some Jews who were bored and sit around and made up something one day. It is not the invention of people who wanted to get rich. This is a fact and a reality. But this resurrection is also not coming for everyone. The resurrection that we hope for and we long for is not universal. Verse number 50, I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. What does this mean? Well, and what it means at the beginning, we remind them of the gospel. The resurrection is only available to those who have put their faith and their hope in Jesus. This passage begins with 11 verses of Paul telling us, I would remind you of the gospel which you received and which you stand and by which you're being saved. This is the only way to be saved. This is the only way to gain resurrection hope 
is through Jesus. And it ends in two, unless you believed in vain. Which again reminds us, not everyone will gain this resurrection. What this means is for those in this room or those who are watching later, if you are an unbeliever, if you do not know Jesus, maybe you'd even consider yourself spiritual, consider yourself interested or skeptical. Maybe even call yourself a Christian, but if you haven't given your life to Jesus, if you don't believe that he died on the cross for your sins, if you don't believe that he was raised again from the dead, if you don't believe that on the cross he defeated death and sickness and that there he paid your penalty for sins, if you do not repent of your sins and believe that and give your life over to Jesus, then you will not get resurrection hope. You just can't have it. Because the source of our hope is that it is Jesus. And it is the gospel. It is the only way. The source of our hope is the fact that Jesus has given us eternal life today. And that eternal life that he has available, it is available to all, but it won't be experienced by all. But that eternal life that is available when, when you receive it, when you, when you repent, and you give your life to Jesus, and you feel him change you, and wash away your sins, and make you righteous in his sight. There's a down payment on the resurrection and the eternal life that is to come. So if you don't know Jesus, what, what you don't need to take away from this sermon is that, hey, life after death is going to be great. If you don't have faith in Jesus, it won't be. But the resurrection of the dead is available to you. And I beg you, come to Jesus because he loves you, because he cares for you, because he sent his son to die on the cross for you so that you can have resurrection hope. Paul also warns us to not believe in vain. What does that mean? I think he means it's easy to pray a prayer. It's easy to raise your hand at an invitation or to check a box that says, yeah, sure, I'm a Christian. Especially in a context or a culture like ours where most people go to church or most people say they're Christians. It's easy to do that, but what does that actually mean? Part of what that means is if you say you believe Jesus, if you say, yes, I have resurrection hope, I put my faith in Jesus, believe he died on the cross and rose again from the dead. But you don't, your life should actually look like you believe in Jesus. Doesn't mean we can earn salvation through the things that we do. Doesn't mean that if we're good enough, we get it. But what it does mean is the gospel actually transforms who you are. For me, I grew up a pastor's kid. Many of you know. So for me, the sky is blue, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. That's just facts of life. I don't know anything any different. But I didn't want to give my life to Jesus. I didn't want to repent of my sins. It was just something I intellectually accepted but didn't actually care about. That's belief that's in vain. It may be worth asking yourself if you've believed in vain. You also need to repent and believe in the resurrection. For believers... Many of us, if not most of us, we too need to remember the gospel. We need to remember that our resurrection hope comes from the gospel. 
The gospel is not something that we pray a prayer once and then we move on to other more important, more interesting things. It is something we must return to over and over and over and over and over and over again. Because this is the source of our hope. We also need to remember our hope is not that when we die, we will go to heaven one day and then be with Jesus. That is not the end of our hope, although we do hope that. Heaven is not the end. Resurrection is. One day, Jesus will return. And when he returns to rule and reign, everyone who has put their faith in Jesus will be brought back to life. 52, in that moment, or 51, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised. And that is the moment when death will be swallowed up in victory, and death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? That is the end. When Jesus returns and remakes the heavens and the earth. Even, I, I believe, in our death and being in heaven, heaven is not going to be disappointing because we will be with Jesus. It is more wondrous than we could ever imagine. But even there, and as I believe now, maybe I'm wrong, but I think even now the saints are waiting and excited and looking forward to resurrection day. And when, G when this day comes... It's going to be the greatest day we've ever seen. I don't think they're looking forward to it because they're disappointed with Jesus because they know the glory that awaits them and awaits us. I think on that day, the graveyard will not be a place to avoid, but be a place that we want to be as we watch those who've put their faith and trust in Jesus be brought back to life because death is not the end. So I want to encourage you to have resurrection hope. To have hope that this is good news, that this life is not all that there is. If it is all that there is, then we're in trouble. If this life is all that there is, then that next bad news story you read should devastate you because it's horrible. But if there is life after death, and if it's coming, then what can shake you? And also, if the resurrection is coming, and it, it means that what we do matters. It doesn't mean that what we do doesn't. It, it gives it eternal significance. And it matters because of the resurrection. So we, we live, we play, we sleep, we, we work, we do everything in light of the resurrection and the life that is to come. That's why Paul ends in 58 of this chapter. Therefore... Okay, if all of this is true, therefore, so it's based on all that I have just said, now this, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, be immovable, and be abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Beloved, what you do in your faith in Jesus is not in vain because of the resurrection. Every small thing, every big thing, Every moment that you wake up earlier than you wanted to read a little bit of your Bible because you wanted to be obedient. 
every time that you chose not to embrace sin, even though it may have seemed good because you wanted to honor Jesus. The moment that you didn't tell somebody who just cut you off how you really felt about them but held back. All those small things will matter. And they do matter. Your work is not in vain because of the resurrection. So I want to encourage you and ask you again, do you have resurrection hope? Are you living like a Christian who really believes that we will live again? Who really believes that what you do today matters? Who really believes that putting your faith in Jesus was important, not just because go to heaven eventually, but because of the resurrection. I'm going to close with this story. First, I'll review where we've been. So first, we've just talked about our, the foundation of our hope. What do we get resurrection hope from? The foundation of our hope is the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, then we are all in big trouble. And the description of our hope, what is the resurrection? At the resurrection, our bodies will be brought back to life and then be transformed, made even greater than they are now. And how do we have this hope? We have this hope by believing in the gospel of Jesus. Not just once when we became a believer, but continually, every single day, reminding ourselves of Christ's resurrection and of our future resurrection because of what he has done. So I'll close with this story. I read a story of a, of a woman who had seven children, and this was before the time of Jesus, but kind of after um, the Old Testament has finished. And the Jews were being persecuted, and there was a particular leader who was having fun persecuting and torturing the Jewish people. And so he brought this woman and her seven sons to him, and he was forcing them to eat and drink, to eat pig's meat and to drink pig's blood, which was an abomination to the Jews because God told them not to do it. And continually would mock them and tell them, why, why are you bothering to follow God? Just turn away from him and then I'll stop. And so this woman with her seven children watched one by one as each of them were killed in front of her, one at a time. All the while continuing to, to encourage them and say, don't give up, don't abandon our Lord, stay faithful. And at the end, after all of them are gone, it was then her time to decide if she would abandon her faith in God and blaspheme against him or stay faithful. And she said the same thing that she told every single one of her sons, that now you, you can kill me, but believe in the resurrection. This life isn't all there is, so I'm going to stay faithful to God. So what you're doing doesn't matter. Because she believed in the resurrection, she could endure, and her sons could endure, horrible atrocities because they had resurrection hope. And if you have resurrection hope, if you have put your faith 
in God, in Jesus, if you believe that he came and died for your sins and rose again from the dead and defeated death, then you can face anything that life could throw at you. You could face anything I could think of to come up with as an example. So the question I have, again, is the same one I've been asking all morning. Do you have resurrection hope? I hope that you do. If you don't, I would love to talk to you about it. Dale or Homer, any of our elders who are here would, would love to, t and Mike would love to tell you more. Just come and ask, it's free, it's available to you. Do you have resurrection? Hope. I'm gonna invite our worship team to, to come back up so close us in prayer. Lord, I just ask, Lord, that you would give us hope. It is easy in our, the busyness of our days or in the darkness of our world to lose hope. It is easy to place our hope in the wrong things, in people or kingdoms or outcomes or our bank accounts or our health. Lord, would you help all of us to put our hope in you and in the resurrection. Don't let us be distracted. Don't let us be discouraged. Lord, would you strengthen us? Would you give us supernatural faith and hope in you? Lord, we praise you that you defeated death. Lord, that we can face down all of our own impending death not with fear, but with the knowledge and the hope that it is not the end, but you are. And we pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to read this benediction for you from the end of 1 Corinthians. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Go in peace and go with resurrection hope.